Howdy there, folks. Text of the Black Pants Legion here with uh, Mr. Deputy. Say hi, Deb. Howdy. Uh, we're going to talk about Kojima. I have been playing <laughs> Metal Gear Solid with Deb. Um, we tried the first. We tried the first. Uh, let's let's catch people up on that so far. Yeah, well, the, the first game was going uh, like a dumpster on fire, rolling down a hill in San Francisco. I thought it was amazing uh, because... Um, our our portrayal of snake was based off of the playstation one version mm -hmm. of the game not the 800 variants thereof to since have come yeah. out and you were uh like a traveler ship running a hodgepodge of technology to make that happen and stream a poll i yeah i had uh the emulator going i had two different ds4 uh controller uh, programs running which had to talk to each other to make the controller work and that worked for about uh, 43 seconds yeah and then it would die and then you had to go back to the keyboard and then so for no reason snake goes from like being kind of reasonable and responsive to being able to only take off in hard directions at full speed and it and yeah so, he's, he's doing the bomber man thing yeah so so the game became different and you still made it to the DARPA chief, uh, yeah. which, which was amazing. But that was about the time you kept pointing out. Um, by the way, for those of you who want to watch what we're talking about, you can watch the old videos on WBPL76 on Twitch. That is WBPL76 on Twitch, and the link is going to be below in the chat. Not in the chat, the little descriptor box thing. I call it the chat box because that's, yep. that's what it always is in fucking Amazon anymore. They're like, put it in the chat. So anyways. And we back up our archive to YouTube as well. There's yes. a YouTube channel you can find. Yes, there's a WBPL archives on YouTube. And so you can go look at WBPL 76 and watch through Deputy and I because Deputy and I, uh, both being uh, humble as dirt people who have been beat down by life and of limited ego and aspirations, have decided amongst ourselves to take Monday night <laughs> for our broadcast. Talk about self-compassion much. <laughs> We're like, yeah, we'll, we'll take the, the driest spot in the calendar, please. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. No, that's just a wide open, yeah. you know, schedule hole. Yeah. Like, what do you, can we fill this? Like, I don't know, I could play Metal Gear stuff. Exactly. And it, Well, we wanted we wanted the other people, because we have series, and so we, we wanted everyone else to, to have, of course, the prime time. But uh, we, we were fine with Monday, because nobody has any high expectations on a Monday. Like, <laughs> nobody goes, oh, man, yeah. Monday's, woo! Mondays, it's um, it's a good. Well, you notice yeah. that the uh, the quality of uh, polish on oh, the production yes. on Metal Gear Mondays is markedly lower than I, all the other shows. I think all we do, yeah, like everyone else's shows are nice. The the VTOL thing you do, very nice. Uh, the the Metal Gear, uh, which we have like some sort of insane metronome we have set on one end of the metronome when it clicks forward is us shitting on Kojima as a filmmaker because we acknowledge that through all of his set pieces dialogue everything else he is dressing this to be a film 
And so I'm judging it as a film, and I'm not a film expert. In fact, I've taken like three whole courses on filmmaking in my whole life, and I think they taught me nothing I didn't already know. Like, the guy who wears the black tie is probably the bad guy, and the cowboy who wears the black hat is probably similarly evil inclined. <laughs> and you're like, thank you, color coding Hollywood. Um, you know, the standard Hitchcock stuff. But when when I'm sitting there looking at, Kojima, I, I have reservations on that. But then we have Clack, the other end of the metronome, is you and I playing Park Attack and proceeding to infuriate people by engineering rides that, as of last night, we trapped people. We created three separate subsets. Accidental. Accidental. Like you're... Well, someone pointed this out to me. They said, you know... That you guys accidentally created three separate populations of horrible, mutated people who have been raised and kept by a ride in three different environments is no surprise from you and the deputy. And I said, what do you mean? And he goes, well, he is the guppy guy, isn't he? Yeah. God damn it. I never should have told that story. Yeah, that's that's exactly... <laughs> That is exactly, um, yeah. So, so what happened last night? Again, the other counterpoint to our Monday is park games, and I come up with terrible scenarios like the old piney woods, or uh, which is an EOD disposal uh, playground turned into a theme park, or the um, Skeeter Island, or as we called it, Water Whirl. Um, and then we had, uh, God, we, we had the polygon, which was in reference to a certain polygon in which they tested nuclear munitions. And we, yeah, don't worry about that. Yeah. So we created the, in that last one, a horrible series of just God awful rides. And then we forgot or fucked up or got distracted. I don't know what was going on, but We've kept trapping people on rides for one reason or another. And we realized it when the submarine ride that was like the Disney shitty old submarine ride where it's like on a rail and has like a little like fucking, you know, Briggs and Stratton engine on it. And, and it just like is half underwater, but the top of it isn't, you know, and it could. Yeah, it's just and, baking. Yeah. yeah. People just fucking boiling alive in this like thing that's just dunked just like below the, the gas water. station pizza under the heat lamp. Yeah. Just boiling <laughs> in that thing. And, and they were all mad because it was uncomfortable. And then it was a really long submarine ride. I mean, it was like 12 minutes. So they're just in the, the ride itself was yeah. like 12 minutes. Yeah. yeah, yeah but yeah. the thing is, is we put a bunch of cars. Yes. And then as I was going through to try and save money, I made it so that a car would only advance when it was full right and people didn't want to ride that ride because everybody was miserable like they heard the wailing of dying people inside the tunnel so they're like i'm not getting on that ride yeah so So they're all stuck at the back behind like 30 empty submarines yeah and so then we realized that and deleted the ride and like 50 people came out and they were just like dragging themselves forward as shambling messes of humanity. And we were like, oh my God. And people just were like trying to make it to the exit. And some people were like, they're like, Tex, are you, did you Andrew Ryan those people? And I'm like, no, I didn't. And they were like, is a man not entitled to the sweat of his park? <laughs> so then by accident again, 
uh, we created because those were the deep dwellers, you know. And then we had yeah, yeah. It, then then we had the monorail, okay. Which we again we set up and then we forgot. Right. Uh, this single station world of the future style monorail. Right. And I happened to uh, scroll by it and heard like three chords of Eye of the Tiger, but slowed down <laughs> really slow. And I'm like, oh god, there's people still on the monorail. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, <laughs> those those poor people. Um, so they were on there, and we closed the monorail, and like 50 people came out, and then someone in chat was like, and then the Sky people was selected. And I'm like, no, this is not an RPG book. These aren't like background choices. Not yet. <laughs> You may become of the sky, of the sea, or of... Well, the third one was the worst, was they couldn't escape the haunted house. Now, <laughs> the haunted house ride reminded me of that Daniels from Second Life thing, which if you've never seen, like, the, the Wonderland, Daniels from Second Life, Gmod Wonderland, where he's like, huh, spooked you. <laughs> Solve the riddle. <laughs> I want to get off Mr. Bone's wild ride. So they they were on that fucking shitty, fucking terrible, god-awful 1960s, 70s camp Hanna-Barbera fucking haunted house for like eight months. Just just running around in there with a constant like little skeletons and like, like popping out every so often. And they're just like trying to find food and water. So that, that haunted house model, uh, I think it randomizes which windows are going to light up yeah. on each, like, yeah. you know, yeah. Uh, thing. Yeah. And it randomizes what noise it plays. So sometimes you'll get, like, a mummy moan and, like, three or four windows will light up. Well, you placed it and you turned it on. And within a second, a single window at the top lit up and I heard bang and then, ah, yeah, that, I was like, somebody just got shot on that top floor. Well, yeah, my response was, uh, no, it was like the electrician going in there to being like, why is this? Why is this spooky ghost not? And then he like can just bang, and then it's like <laughs> electrician four eight one needs to go to the hospital. <laughs> so we I had. I hired two electricians. Weird. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but. Like that's our Mondays. That is our Mondays. It's just alternating between those two things, not being serious at all. But we were really breaking down Kojima, and the reason we have to is because um, I'm just gonna ask anyone out there. It just if you're listening with anyone in the car, or if you're listening with anyone in the vicinity, if you're like gathering together to listen to this. I ask you a question, and I want you all to look each other in the eyes right now and be honest. First fucking words out of your mouth, just just in response to this question. How long are you willing to sit through a cutscene in a video game? And I bet none of you said 45 minutes. I'm willing to bet the answer was in fact under 20 for the introduction, if it's an awesome set piece, or under 5 for a level intro. In fact, I think the best sort of cutscene is essentially something like Mass Effect. Ride the elevator, chit-chat, catch up on news, funny joke or two, next scene. But yep. um, Kojima believes in a very Russian style of storytelling and that there are 800 supporting characters 
and each one has their own novel, which may or may not be interesting and may or may not have anything to do with the overarching plot. <laughs> oh yeah, no. But you're going to hear all of it because all, he wrote it down. He wrote so it down for you. He wrote he's it, that kind of yeah. GM. Oh yeah, he's like he's like I. Wrote, I built this world, and you're gonna fucking know about it. <laughs> I have a three ring binder full of notes for this world I made, and I need to tell you the same thing every time. Now I know I repeat a lot in text talks, battle tech, especially when reapproaching subject matter. But Jesus fucking Christ. Like, I'm sitting there and he's like, in 1964, the East and the West fought each other in a Cold War. And I'm like, all right, I am aware the Cold War existed. I'm also aware that air is required for breathing. I am aware of the fact that nations require individuals of extraordinary aptitude to extraordinarily rendition certain actions. On behalf of the state. In fact, that's why I bought a game with the word espionage in the title. So I'm waiting till that part materializes. And until then, I am going to talk through the movie that I have been dragged through. And that is my approach to what we have now begun, uh, Metal Gear Solid 2. Metal Gear Solid 2 is where it starts to go off the rails. It in jumps. such a wonderful, beautiful train wreck. Because oh, he was trying to say something. It's just forest for the trees already. Because, um, yeah, I mean, if you actually sit there and listen to what the characters are saying at the yeah. end of the game, you're like, huh, he's got some interesting takes on, you know, digital privacy. No, and, that's like some of his uh, concepts. Social media. Some of his concepts I mean, this is big brain concepts ahead of their yeah, time. Yeah, this was made in yeah. 2000 and released and during, yeah. like, right after the September 11th, I remember. that's where they cut the Manhattan scene. Right. Um, so he he did, in a lot of ways, look forward to what we're experiencing now with social media being the primary means of people uh, interacting with each other in these parasocial relationships. The problem is, is all that shit is, like, well, locked in the middle of a two-hour cutscene at the end of the game. Well, that's the problem, is, is, is there show don't tell, right? Their yeah. show don't tell, right? Now, here's one thing I'm going to tell you is why I love James Bond movies. Good idea or bad idea, very brilliant writing or very challenged writing, either or, done and done in two hours. The whole fucking thing. So if the movie is bad writing, bad Bond girl, bad Bond theme, bad Bond player, bad Bond gadget, bad Bond gun, bad Bond car, if even all the elements and the premise are awful, it's over in two hours. I can say I understand everything it was trying to be in two hours. The problem with Kojima is he goes, like a Civilization Five game, ah, just a little longer. <laughs> and it just, you're like, who is this guy? It, why? Why, why is, why is this character? That is a concept I frequently have is I, I get into like the dialectic with myself and just start going, why does this person exist? Why are they here? What do they add? Well, we were bitching about the gun stuff and I understand that because his technical expert is Tokyo SWAT and he has mm -hmm. his own view of stuff from a generation of it. And that's fine. It would be like if I had a cop from the 70s in the U.S. and I said, yeah, advise me on police action in the 70s. Everything would look like Dirty Harry. 
because it was, and it would probably be even grittier, grittier than that. And so you, you, you get what you get from the area. It flavors it. But when that is then redressed as like tactical, modern, everything, I just sit there and go, uh Oh, <laughs> well, that's why, that's why there's no real modern, uh, gear is that guy left Tokyo SWAT in like 1994. Right. He's an 80s and 90s SWAT guy. Which is awesome he, if you're making like uh yeah. like a high stakes There's a reason. police stuff. I that, that would be awesome for like any of the Tokyo high rise style Yakuza movies. Like all of that shit would be fucking lit for it. But no, this tactical military <laughs> so it gets interesting. It paints it yeah, in a they're, lens. Yeah, they're different worlds. Well, I think it's fine because it paints it in a lens. It shows again he's intending to make a movie. He did what a movie does. He hired a movie expert. And that's fine. That's 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 cool because it paints it with that lens. It shows like if I was a grindhouse guy, I'm not going to go out and get like a technical modern military expert. No, I'm going to go get the guy who has the armory for like 800,000 really loud guns. They're just pyrotechnically crazy. I'm going to go find the guy in the Philippines who made all the canon movie stuff. I'm going to go find the Philippine armorers. I'm going to go find those technical teams that will like fly a Huey gunship through a barn. I'm going to go find all of that crazy stuff. If I'm going to make a grindhouse movie that has technical gun stuff in it, because it has to be that same era. If I took a modern Hollywood armory and put it in that grindhouse setting, you go, ah, this is a modern take on grindhouse, but everything's AR 15s. It just doesn't look the same. It doesn't feel the same. It doesn't have the same feel. And so like, I think a lot of what Kojima does is he goes into like a magpie, just like borrows from other settings and puts it there. And then you or I go, oh, was well, anthropologists of spy stuff and defense things and military things. I want to examine this piece that is in the nest and I wish to turn it over like Cole Phelps. And unfortunately, like Cole Phelps, we go, huh, doesn't fit. <laughs> it's just. Why? Uh, it's not anything. Yeah, it, it's well. Okay, so at the beginning of the movie, Snake, as an NGO, jumps on to a boat in yeah. New, in New York Harbor, and doesn't die, and then yep. and then proceeds to go. And this boat is operated by the military, but not the military. Yeah, and, the Marines, but they're masquerading yeah. as Marines wearing oil slickers. Right. And then, and then, like, there's the commandant or something. He gives a speech, and then this old guy who says like "GRU is a guru" comes in. And then at that point, I'm just sitting there, like I'm arguing everything. I'm arguing everything because I I, I started hard on Merrill and one. And then I started hard on Olga in two and someone wrote me a letter and was like, you're being hard on women in video games. And I was like, no, 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 no. I am being hard on poorly portrayed characters who are then dressed as women in video games. Because I think it was, here's this weird character. What do I do with it? I don't know what to do with it. Make it pretty. And I'm going, that's not a compelling character. Like my favorite characters, I don't think about like if they're girls or guys, I just think about that's cool shit. Like, you know, Katarina Sforza of Four Lee, the Tigress of Four Lee. I think she's cool because she had a lot of fucking cannons and people would come down the road and be like, I'm the Pope. And she'd be like, fuck you. I have guns. Come through my fort. I'll kill you. And I'm like, I like characters like that. I don't care if that's a guy or a gal. 
I just think people like that in history who, who like tell the Pope to fuck off with artillery are interesting to read about. But what I hate is in video games is they're like, this is a woman. And then you have a marketing team that goes, this is what a woman is like. <laughs> and I go, I don't, I, uh, I don't yeah, like that. No, it, it seems like the, uh, the push and I'm sure they tie it back to like aliens and shit, but well, yeah, but the aliens push, did it great. Aliens did it aliens great. Aliens did it great. That's what I mean is it's like. Because it, they wrote the character and then they cast a woman as the character. Exactly. That's 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 the point is is alien, aliens did it great. And then people go, oh, yeah, and a callback to like aliens. Well, here's the problem with that. Those were competent actresses cast well into roles in which they did very well. And, and, and they didn't do well because they were women. They did well because they were competent in their field and they were cast very well and they had a good script and good production and good value. And that, that all goes into it. But the problem is, is when people don't get that, when they don't understand filmmaking or they don't understand how shit comes together and it's not just one element, it's actually a, you know, a whole bunch of things tied together, all these people working together, they'll just go, oh, and a callback to blah. It reminds me of, remember uh, after Diablo 2 came out, remember remember all those games like Hellgate London and all those things? And they're like, from the makers of, from the producer of, from the art team of, inspired by, in a callback to. And you have all of that endless crap. But one by one, most of them just hit the wall at 100,000 miles an hour because they didn't understand what they were referencing. Exactly. Uh, Kojima, I think, sees that people want strong female characters, and he goes, okay, I can do that, and write strong, comma, female. And yeah. that's how we wind up with, like, quiet lifting, you know, a tank. Yeah, and I, I, don't, I don't get that, because it's like, okay, if... Because if, I'm looking at these characters, and I'm just going like, Kojima, I understand what you're going for, but this is where you need an editor. This is, this is where you need someone who's like, I get what you're saying. Like... Okay, the the you want to show a character that is driven by growth and uh, is like the young soldier that Snake yells at, but then later learns the soldiery ways of soldiering from Snake and honor and good, right? That's who Meryl's supposed to be, I guess, as portrayed through the games. But I have to say, I guess, because I don't see clean ties to it. And it's handled no, we so... we see her in one, and then we see her again in four. Right, and it's just like... And it's like, treated like there's all this backstory that we should have gotten at some point when she's not mentioned in any of the intervening games. Well, right, and I'm going, well, if you wanted to show character growth, and that was intended from the beginning, you show the clumsy youth, or the impetuousness of youth, or the eagerness to prove yourself, or any of the other things you do when you're young and stupid and, and able... But just young and stupid. And then you show as you grow older and more mature, maybe have a family or build a name for yourself or something else, you're a different person. And you're still kind of coming out of that shadow. And you can show through decisions and hardship and endurance how a character changes over time. I don't think he thought about that. <laughs> I really maybe, don't. You know, you, you can even do it visually. If sure. Meryl had shown up with a Glock or a 226 or a 92 FS instead of a Desert Eagle in the fourth one, and then made a passing comment like, oh, yeah, I grew out of it. Well, not only that, not only that is like you show her as the youth, right? Like skinny skater kid, 
sort of something like she's like 25 or whatever she's supposed to be. I hope Kojima is not like she's 16 super soldier or something. Please God, Kojima. No, but I, uh, I recall there was something like that. I, she... I don't want to hear it. So it, that, that whole thing is just like, <laughs> Nope, no, thank yeah, you. No, it, it, it got into weird. Yes. No, thank you. Weird, no, yeah. thank you. Kojima. No, thank you. So it's, it's one of those things in my head. Canon 25 or whatever has spent some time in the military and did enough, whatever to get to that place, but still young and dumb. And just like, I'm trying to prove myself. And you show that they're like, kind of, kind of thin, like maybe they grew up poorly and didn't eat very well. And they're just now getting like good nutrition for a span of years in their life. And you show that they're like still very impulsive and still eager to be like, no, I got this. Don't worry. I am the hero too. I'm here to do my part. And the world hasn't beat the shit out of them yet to know what sacrifice means or what any of these so-called greater things mean in reality. And then you find the older person, you find someone who's, you know, if they're a female and a soldier, they put on a little weight. And I don't mean fat. I mean, they're stronger. You know, they're they're a little more uh, chadly looking, <laughs> you know, uh, but they're also you show a little bit of oldness in the eyes. You change the whole aspect of the face. You show that if you look at people who are in their 20s who see a life of conflict, even boxers, and you look at them in their their 40s, they, they have a very different cast about their face. And I don't mean just injury. I mean, in terms of how they see the world, how they're looking at the room. You show changes, as you say, in equipment. Like, oh, I had a Desert Eagle, but, you know, God, I was just a dumb kid. And now I just have, hey, I have this Glock and I put a new trigger in it because I'm a pussy. And I like the four and a half pound snap of an Apex. You know, I'm just, I, in, I, I, I can't do the standard trigger anymore. And you, you have someone who's doing a few things like you show the wear of age. You show someone with like a fucking leg brace or an ankle brace. They're still out there kicking ass, but they're like, yeah, I got to wear the, the fucking got to wear my ankle and hip brace. Otherwise, you know, when I sit down, it pop real bad, but they're still like a paratrooper. And so you show the age of the character and you show like in, in their equipment contrasting things where they start off with like standard military equipment. And by the end of their career, it's this mishmash of things, including some stuff they've made themselves and incorporated. And they could have done all those touches if they cared. Well, yeah, I mean, anybody who's been in the military knows that 31-year-old staff sergeant that looks like he's 50. That's what I mean is like, and, and again, if I, I tried to do that a little bit when I did the Magistrato Mundanus, I had the captain be this infantry grunt lady who was just chain smoking constantly because this this lady in charge of your unit is just like, I'm an infantry commander. And I didn't write her as a lady. I wrote her in all the dialogue and everything I wrote for her was like after action report infantry commander stuff of just like you did fucking what? Why in the fuck would you think that's OK? Shut the fuck up. I didn't ask for an opinion. Just doing all of that. And it doesn't matter if that's a lady or a dude. I just wrote it as a character. And then at the end, when I chose genders for characters, I just flipped coins like I was just just easy because it was easy to write characters that had motivations. And when you have that gender applied to it, all it does is add a lens to what is already yeah. established character. Like they see it from a it's different. Strange. It's strange. Yeah. It's like women or people or something. You know, that is really odd uh, to have those sorts of. How dare you, sir? No. Um, 
there the one thing I I did get in trouble for I, I I I'm frequently invited to various discords and I I will say usually one thing and then I forget about it because I'm busy and it's not to be mean it's just I'm busy so people invite me and go text say hi to everyone I'm like hello I am a meat popsicle and then I have nothing to say um, but I, I I joking someone says what is your favorite amendment and and I said oh I have a number. You know, just a number of amendments. I generally don't talk politics, but someone obviously didn't know that and was inviting a shit post. So I, I said, uh, you know, I, I really like to think about when we gave uh, women the right to vote. And they said, why? And I said, what's really interesting, the first thing women gaining the right to vote did was prohibition. And and they were like, are you blaming? Everyone's screaming. And I, I feel like, well, hold on a second. I think it's interesting. And here's the reason why. It showed that there was that big of a demographic that people didn't understand politically speaking, historically speaking. And it was so big and so overwhelming. The first thing it pulls the trigger on is huge culturally. And you're like, whoa, that came out of nowhere. And it shows that there was that part missing that when added in instantly shifted everything we knew. And I go, wow, that's really interesting. I love studying stuff, but people take stuff away from it and they feel that if I'm being critical of like a female character that I'm being critical of whatever. No, I'm being very critical of a guy who can't write characters. And this one is at current a female. And so I'm just sitting there going like, why am I at 23? Why is this lady walking around with like the firefighter shit of having half the camo undone and just going to stand in the rain and catch a fucking cold and use a phone in the open, on the fantail of a fucking boat, spotlit. And she's not supposed to be on. That she's not supposed to be on. And the other thing is, like, you're sitting there looking at just the minor touches. VHF, three-mile range, direct contact. Thank you. I I used to be a fucking dispatcher. I know radio range and repeater ranges. So, like, unless, unless that colonel is out there off Big Shell in a fucking boat, and he's holding an antenna in his hands and pointing it at you, (laughs) <laughs> That's going to be an interesting conversation. It's going to be like, sure. And you'll be like, yes, thank you. I, I will kill everyone. We, uh, so we had issues once with our comms, but we managed to, after about four days of having them, because it was intermittent. Sometimes they'd work perfectly. Sometimes we were so jammed we could not get out. Yeah, uh, and we determined that it was along about a five degree arc. Yep, from our position. So we started checking, you know, radio direction finders. Maybe we were being actively jammed. Whole bunch of other stuff. After a week of investigating, we found out that one of our uh, enlisted was charging his phone next to one of the receivers. Yep, and it was an unshielded phone. Yep, and that's that's how shit happens. And so, like, I I think it's it's interesting because he has he has a storytelling one. That's what I love about the codec. His idea with a codec is really smart. It's it's a way to have a Greek chorus comment on everything you're doing if you invite it or instruction if you need it. And I think that's interesting. It invites other lenses and contrasts into your character. Mm-hmm. And it keeps his production down, production cost. Well, the problem is, is that if you had a Greek chorus and had 90% of your dialogue and information through that, that would be really interesting. But then 
In addition to the Greek chorus, there are cutscenes. In addition to the cutscenes, there's back, like, just fucking backlog and backlog and backlog of oceans, of oceans of exposition. And you're just introduced to it, non sequiturs, throughout. And, and, and you just have to sit back because there's nothing you can really do. Because if you skip through it, you won't know why you're in the next cutscene. Or the three cutscenes after it. Or what happened. Or why you're suddenly in a new place with a different gun. And you're like, oh, uh, mm. <laughs> why? Yeah. No, it's... God, well, that's one of the one of the people when we were playing it started timing how long the cutscenes were. Yeah. So I'd start saying, okay, I just set the controller down and like yeah. 23, 24 minutes later, like, oh, it's time to play again. Yeah. Like we, we and there were there. five cutscenes within that. What that's the thing is, okay, let's let's play a game. Let's play a game. Like just you and I off the top of our head, and we're just using this as a base just off the top of our head. You have to introduce the character in dialogue with enough exposition to be able to get them onto the fantail of the boat at the start of the game. What do you show? What do you say? Get them onto the fantail of the boat. Yeah, get them to the start of the game where they need to be. All right. I'd, I'd tie in the codec thing. I'd have a phone call between Otacon and Snake. Like, Snake, I found this thing. Have it last like 30, 45 seconds. You know, fade to black, and then we're right there. He repels or whatever the fuck you want to call that. And I think that was supposed to be an Australian repel, but you can't really do that without a surface to run down. Yeah, that's what I was going to say is it's like, I think he just ran down like gravity and then he just (laughs) there. And that's neat because that sort of shit, you know, um, uh, God, the the opening of um, Goldeneye, you know, stuff, stuff like that is amazing and doable when you see people doing like bungee repel or just all that other fucking crazy shit. When you see people do it, that's cool. That's what I wonder. So yeah, I've always wondered on that scene, whether he saw somebody do a bungee repel or something was like, oh, that looks cool. And then tried to tweak it. Yeah, that's in the same way that he intentionally misuses the uh, Fulton recovery system. Well, Yeah. And, And that's fine. If he sees that as this is how spies get into stuff like this is my preferred method of changing scenes like a guy comes down doing this and that's cool but it's used awkwardly so what what you described was about 45 seconds to a minute of dialogue and action we didn't have that and so i'm i'm wondering why anyone would choose to paint a scene in a certain way because sure there are people who can be verbose and uh, varied in how they tell the story, myself included. Uh, but y- you have people like Tolkien who can tell you the whole history of the tree, and then also there's a battle going on in, in that field. But you know, he he can he can tell the whole history of a tree or all of this other stuff that's non sequiturs. But it's beautiful, and just I find with Kojima, especially by the time he got to the third movie, I think he realized he had a meme status. And he was like, I'm just going to make a Bond movie. Fuck it. I'm not, I'm tired of pretending I'm going to make a Bond movie. <laughs> and he did. And that was the one I loved the most. No, the, the third is certainly the strongest of the series. I think it's truly the greatest because he, he just embraced his living meme status. And he was like, mm-hmm. you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to have a lady who's literally the mother of special forces. <laughs> 
And it was Grindhouse. He gave birth on the battlefield. Exactly. It's like a Grindhouse movie. Like, she gave birth on the battlefield. She's the mother of special forces. She was the first person into space. Her her boyfriend sees ghosts. (laughs) It was was a Robert Rodriguez movie. Like, the whole thing was a trailer. Like, if if I had to choose someone to shoot... He's got a a snake c-section scar that wiggles around exactly like no seriously if i had to choose someone to shoot metal gear solid 3 as a movie i'd say robert fucking rodriguez that like el mariachi once upon a time in mexico (laughs) also spy kids and i think it was an episode of boba fett like he he does all that shit at his house like he's a one man videographer, editor, cinematographer, director of photography. Just he does it all literally. He's like, no, I'll do it at myself and just I would I would absolutely get the guy who did Once Upon a Time in Mexico to shoot shoot the third one. Just because every character would be to the nth a thousand times crazier than they would be. He'd be like, Oh, there's this guy who's this old man, well, I'm going to make him look like the Crypt Keeper. <laughs> like, he, he would do that. He would get Guillermo del Toro to do the end. It would be horrifying. I love it, though. I, I just hate I just hate a lot of the characters. I, I, hate, I hate so many characters he writes because I'm like, why are you there? It reminds me of somebody who, like, has a community theater and they just put all their friends in all the roles and you're like, why? Now, I do the same thing in Text Talks Battletech, but I, I'm not selling it. <laughs> So it's the difference. I, I can complain. I can kvetch a little bit. Well, and you, you think about three, that's really the tightest story that he's told. Well, it is, it's a good bond movie. Again, there's, there's uh he lands, there's a double cross. Things aren't what they seem. That's your introduction and your teaser. Then you get your flavoring, the movie, the, you get the beautiful movie intro. You get the music again on point. Three was the first that grabbed me with music. I was like, Wow, he went and did the Bond thing. Fuck yeah. And that set the whole tone to it. And then everything was just over the top and stupid. And it felt like he was going, no, this is a Bond movie. I even got a British guy to be your boss. (laughs) And it was all the elements I liked. Now, some of the bad guys were straight out of, like, cartoons. Uh, BB God. (laughs) I'm like... Uh, I own a Thompson and I find that offensive. <laughs> like you, you got to imagine that the B that is the hammer, he's got a real bad time, right? Yeah. Thompson. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, like which, which B is the blish lock? I, I I'm wondering, <laughs> I'm wondering like, like what, how did he get it? I don't know. He's, a, he's I a wonder f- if the blish lock is actually, you know, functional in the B Thompson. It's, it's, it's a fair, it's a fair question, but like what I loved about Metal Gear Solid three more than everything. And, and I mean, really, really, really made me happy was that I could actually for one self insert into a game. So like when he was like, baby, I just started throwing grenades at him. I'm like, I'm tired of you. I'm just tired of you making noise. (laughs) Just bang, 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 bang. Shut the fuck up. Um, that, that guy, the, oh, the fear, you know, just what the fuck kind of slender man-ish weird guy was that? Cause they're like, Oh yeah, this guy was a world war two veteran. And I'm like, uh, no. Yeah. They're, they're all world war two veterans. They fought as a single unit while the boss was giving what, birth. What in doctrine? Normandy. What doctrine? 
what U.S. military or allied doctrine encompasses weird, comma, miscellaneous? What strategic objective? Because I know the British had the SOE, and those they should have never gotten rid of those guys, in my opinion. But very clean operators. And then we had the OSS. So under what hat did these people operate? Under what command capacity did they say, you know what? You know what this army needs? This army needs a guy who talks to ghosts, a lady who's just generic and kind of strange, but in a motherly way, I don't know, kind of mixed feelings, kind of like Martha Kent, but head bitch in charge, but in a respectful manner. Uh, I need a sniper who served in the Civil War. Uh, I need a Russian space... Well, the Russian Civil War. A Russian Civil War. Pardon. I need, uh, I need a spaceman who's not a good one and a frogman, but not like a guy with flippers that would be useful on this beaching operation, but like one who can like jump around and be weird like a frog. Uh, am I missing anyone in this lineup? You know, and oh, yeah, uh, I need someone who can materialize guns out of bees or something. And then they're like, we will form this unit. I mean, it's it's just like, hmm. What <laughs> it's have- strange that you mentioned these particular people because we were just trying to figure out what to do with them. Well, what I think would have been interesting is if you had showed that the U.S. military had created this giant department of rejects of all of these crazy people as identified and then had them led by someone who was like vouched for as part of this asymmetrical warfare group that came out of like spinoffs of the OSS, like the OSS program had cultivated all these really strange paranormal people. And we're like, we can't use them in standard military operations because these skills are non-transferable. These are just unique individuals. Well, and we, yeah. we decided we didn't want to do the intelligence thing. Gentlemen don't read other gentlemen's mail. Right. So we disbanded the OSS. We told Bill Donovan to fuck off. We kept their R&D as part of the State Department for a little while, and then we formed the CIA around that several years later. Right. And so I'm sitting there going like, well, what would be interesting is you say, oh, this was a splinter group that came out after World War II. You you Delta Mm -hmm. it up. You slice it in between real history and you put it right between the pages. And uh, Um, I I think he tried to do that. He just didn't know American espionage and uh, intelligence history. If you watch James Bond, you understand the very hilariously exaggerated version of British intelligence. And that's fine. If you watch Jason Bourne, he watched the very hilariously exaggerated version of modern American intelligence through the view of Robert Ludlum, who was a 1970s and 80s spy thriller writer who studied a lot of that stuff, and though he wrote novels, was largely basing pieces and elements on true programs that he then exaggerated. So again, taking something in reality and then chopping it up. Robert Ludlum was to kind of the American spy fiction stuff. Um, What Tom Clancy was to military fiction. Right, and so you, you find that these various guys have various places that you can draw from. What I think that's weird about Kojima is it doesn't know what it wants to be in terms of a film, because what is the, if you look at Metal Gear Solid one, what is, what are the themes of the film? The only one that I can think of is the one that shoves down your throat, which is a vague anti-nuclear proliferation, which he has been consistent on through the series. At least. That's fine. That's a nice base theme. Like for people could say text talks, battle tech could have a base theme of like kindness is hard or, you know, nothing new under the sun, you know, 
there's a jaded cynicism about it. And that's fine. That's my lens. I've had a lot of shit go not great in my life. And so I created a character that has a biased lens based on shit not going well in their life. And I think that's refreshing to have a character who's beat to shit by the world around them. And it seems realistic. At least a bit more human. And it's a way of putting a lens on a character and having it portrayed in a certain manner that has certain biases and beliefs that are from a point of view that is realistic rather than inserting a character with an omnipresent point of view that can judge everything like a Greek chorus. And that's the problem with Kojima is he puts characters in that know everything and they just like look at you and go like, I wouldn't do that or blah, 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 blah. Why do they, why does everyone know everything but you? That's where it gets weird. But me? Yeah. It's, it's, it's just, it's weird for the player. Um, the, cause it feels like everything's a grand conspiracy, but also you're a moron because you're always in the room. It feels like, like you'd never feel like your special forces. You feel like your special comma forces because you know nothing and you're constantly betrayed or forced in these horrible places. And then your character just goes like, oh, well, you know, I, I should have known or blah, blah, blah. And it's like, no, it's like you're the you're the idiot and the player is treated like the idiot because you're constantly swept up in things that are bigger than you. Not once do you ever feel like you know more than anybody you walk into other than the average goon. But even then, for the most part, the average goon seems to have a mission or ambition where you just kind of are walking around. So it's very strange as a lens from a player perspective, and I don't get it because I'm going, why does the average grunt have more understanding of what I'm doing than I do? Yeah, you're here to stop the nuclear weapon. I am. I'm like, you have a nuke? Shit. That's a really good idea. Yeah, like I, I like four <laughs> cutscenes ago, I was told this was about like a little girl making eggs and there's a nuke now? Like I, Jesus. I yeah. talk about to the moon. The stakes just went straight up there. Yeah. I'm like, I can only manage so much, man. Cause like when I was playing metal gear solid five, I only got so far as to like terrorizing, uh, the, the Russian gar or sorry, Soviet garrisons in Afghanistan, because it actually wasn't all Russians. A lot, a lot of different people in that army, but you have the yeah, Soviet easier to think of the Soviet Union as a bunch of puzzle pieces than a single solid yeah exactly like cohesive if, nation. If, if you study their history, you'll see that all the SSRs really did have some interesting things, and they all really played. And in the West, we're only starting to see that, like the actual power block dynamic as it was versus what was reported. Um, yeah. And a lot of those people are starting to tell their stories. It's really interesting. Uh, but yeah, that when you when you look at like the Soviet garrisons of Afghanistan and like me, you as the player running around, you know, playing Rambo and just which is what that is. All of that is Rambo. That's Rambo three. You're just it's Rambo around. three. Yeah. It's you just running around doing vaguely Americanish things to the Russians in particular because Kojima paints them as Russians. It's just the Russians are in Afghanistan. I'm like, no, it's the Soviet army. Like there, there should be some like Mongol dudes there. There should be some Turkmen over there. There should be some, there was an Afghan army at that time. Right. Like those guys you, were around. You, you need to point that stuff out because that would actually show like an interesting backdrop. And I'm not trying to say like, 
you need to represent everyone who was in the Soviet army. I'm like, no, just show like contrast. Show that like this division commander is literally from a 2,000 miles away from where that division commander is from. And you can play And they don't get along. And you can play that off. Yes. That's that's what I'm thinking is like it allows you to look at the the landscape of the battlefield of Afghanistan. It's like, look at all these different war camps. So like up here you've got this VDV unit and this guy's like super fucking party connected and he hates like spinning up his helicopters and he just can't wait to get fucking out of the country. But if he does, he's going to react really strongly and be crazy. So, but then you go, oh, this guy down here in this artillery camp, he doesn't even want to fucking shoot. And like, he hasn't put the breaches in his guns for like three months. And so you show there's all these different groups of different readiness and all these things that you could play off of and get to do crazy stuff and maybe like fuck up the whole map and bring in heavier forces or what have you. That would be interesting. you, You run into a patrol and you glass it and you go, oh, okay. That's not VDV. I can take these guys. Or, no, those guys are all wearing Telnishkas. I need to tread carefully here. Yeah, and that, that, that's kind of the stuff I was looking for. But, like, but I never played 4. I watched someone play 4, and it just looked like cameos. We'll get to 4. We'll, we'll do it live, and I will just yell the whole time. But 4 is, uh, oh, it's its own special thing. Well, here's the thing. I, I love, I love, I love guns and games. I love stuff like Killing Floor. Killing Floor is like one of my favorite games. Killing Floor 2 is a private game that I enjoy. I I can play four or five rounds of Killing Floor 2 in any mood. If someone says text Killing Floor, let's let's fucking th- I, no problem. That is a game I can play all day. Uh, for for four or five rounds and then like I'm just spent because it feels like getting a massage by somebody who like lifts 600 pounds you know what I mean like when they when they're like I'll use the full pressure and they just like turn your back to like glass just broken glass you know they're just like (laughs) it's that sort of effect on me uh for shooters but I I love it because like all the guns were animated at like 2400 frames a second so when it goes into the slow-mo all the manipulations and everything look great everything was motion captured and you're just shooting bad guys they're just horrible monsters and you don't ever have to worry about somebody going well that's political or that's bad or any crazy stuff it's like shoot monsters with friends the game and it's horrifically over the top hilariously violent like a cartoon should be and then the thing that's great is then when they have their community events, they bring out stuff like on Christmas, they brought out Gary Busey as Santa. And 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 he was fully voiced by Gary Busey. And and he was just like, oh, ho, 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 boys. And he just sang whatever came into his head. And they just printed it. And it was great. It was fucking great. He ad-libbed all this crazy shit about being like metal Santa and gonna like punish all the bad kids. And you had to like save Christmas. And I look at stuff like that and it draws me into a game. And I admit that you look at stuff like Kojima's games and they're all super pretty. They're all like really, really super pretty in all these various ways. But then you start looking at the elements and you start going, hmm. <laughs> Not text just sent me photos of an AK viz modded into a set me L. <laughs> yeah they're in guns are cool as well all right let me let me go look at this that's nothing actually i i had something i promised i would bring to your attention um and now oh, I, I know oh Lord. i know you're a qualified law enforcement personnel oh you could visit that's not a bad mod 
I, it's, 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 oh no. Okay. That's a little rough. Yeah. All right. So it needs some work. It's not a bad idea. It's, it's a bad no. mod. So, all right. There is a guy, there is a guy who sent me an email and he and I, as, as you may remember of all the various things we've discussed, one of the things we've discussed frequently is, um, Obrez's. You know, the, the art of taking a long rifle, shortening it to make it more handy. And it was a common practice in World War I, Russian Civil War, and World War II when they didn't have enough pistols in inventory. And you're like a guy running around on a horse or foot or trenches or house to house. You don't need a rifle that's like three yards long <laughs> with a bayonet. You don't want to be able to like bayonet people on the other side of the river without leaving your fighting position. Like that's neat. You can do that with a Nagant, but... For, like, house fighting, you want shorter. So a lot of these guys just hacks up yeah. these things down. And there's an art form to it. Um, so there's a guy named George. I'm not mentioning his last name. Um, George is an interesting guy. He owns a... Um, <laughs> he owns a deuce and a half. So I'm helping okay. you color those people of you out there on the internet. Helping you understand the kind of guy that George is and his private life. So George owns a deuce and a half. And um, he said um, his comments on that, or he showed pictures of it. So I'm going to show you pictures of his deuce. And in that way, <laughs> that sounds bad out of context, but I'm going to show you pictures of this guy's deuce and a half. Like there it is. It's, it's respectful. It's not bobbed or anything. It's still got the convoy, you know, plate on it and everything. It's, it's just as is. And he says, uh, put a bunch of work into it, some fresh tires on it. And she's a solid running unit, generally running at 50-50 filtered waste motor oil, hydraulic oil, ATF, and diesel. <laughs> Jesus yeah. Christ. Uh, he said, it can get 10 miles a gallon on the highway. It can comfortably cruise at 55 miles an hour with slightly larger 1,000 R20 tires. <laughs> And You'll so, get 57 on the super singles. Yeah. And so he was, it, he's, he, he knows this stuff. Um, however, no, we, we had to do that when we convoyed those, we'd have to put all the singled out deuces in front of the dualies yeah. on the old NDTTs because they were slightly faster. Right. And we'd have collisions. Yes. And so <laughs> I, the fucking funny army truck, but so he invented something else. Um, I'm going to show this okay. to you. I cannot show this to the internet without his approval. Um, and I'm not a gun channel, so I don't want to start putting this out there. But this is his to share, and we're just commenting on it. So he made an Obrez. Um, he he did do some work on the barrel. Uh, it does have a muzzle brake. But what is most impressive, as you will find, and I'm about to post this, but what is most impressive, as you'll find, is the uh, unique magazine he has attached to it. Stand by. It is transferring now. <laughs> Describe what you see, please. Oh, good lord. Wait. No. Okay. And, well, yeah, I suppose he probably is getting that to feed, isn't he? Uh, let me send the, the other image, the reverse. Yeah? Yeah, he is. Yeah, he is. Yeah. Uh, so describe well, that's, describe that's a to the special kind of dedication. Describe to the listeners um, what George has made, if you would. So mind. this is uh, hold on. That's what probably a nine inch barrel. <laughs> All right. Let's look at the f <laughs> from chamber face. Maybe uh, there's there's another side image for you to describe it. Um, 
<sighs> so so it's about a seven so, yeah. that's about a seven inch cut. It's about a seven-ish inch cut. I I don't think he measured it either. Uh, no, and and about two inches of muzzle break. Yeah. Uh, uh, he he refers got, to it as the moist nougat pistol. Um, he said I, he quote made a super accurate. cheap muzzle break, and on the bottom attached uh, its magazine. <laughs> Dab if you want. It's it's a DP twenty eight mag. It's one of those pan magazines that go on the top of the Russian DP-28 machine gun feeding into a Nagant. And it, yeah. th- we're looking at this mechanically and architecturally. It's, it seems well, to, and he's, yeah. he's yanked the rear sight wedge out, and he's put on what looks like a long vizier, uh, Gewehr 98 sight base with a Picatinny adapter pinned yeah. into it yeah it's it's amazing and a vortex optic it's amazing so one last picture uh he wanted to prove it was real so he sent a picture of him i shooting don't doubt it. that it's real no. oh yeah that's <laughs> so it looks like two planets colliding in the dark um that is the best way to describe the muzzle flash it is impressive uh, George, yeah, holy shit. George, God bless with your amazing SBR you have created. Do you have but, any hair left in your hands? Yeah, I mean, it's, I don't know what it would physically feel like to He's charge. shooting that without safety glasses, I think. Yeah, I, I'm going <laughs> to That's recommend. a brave, brave man. Yeah, I'm going to say, George, I, you've made a dragon, and this is impressive. Um, your, your work is incredible here. It's also infuriating. Um, <laughs> In, in all the right ways, but I see what you did. He he did show some pictures of the rifles uh, before he obrezzed them, and they were just clapped to clapped to ruin. I, I figured they they were peened out, clapped to ruin rifles, and they would have just been a mother to break down or fix. And so he was like, you know, I. <laughs> all right, so let me let me read his note because I I forgot he did append a note to the top of this to describe his work. <clears throat> He wanted to thank us for the hours and hours of entertainment. And, of course, he's more than welcome. And everyone's yeah, welcome. Yeah, no I mean, problem. If, if people want to pay for it, there's a Patreon. But, like, you, you don't have to because we just like hanging out. So it's like, eh, yeah, we're, we're I'm gonna, a guest here. I yeah, get no money. Yeah, well, and it, it's like all the money also goes back into fucking production. So it's, it's just one of those things of, like, people are like, oh, yeah, you guys make money off stuff. And I'm like, do you know? how expensive it is to run a fucking render machine. <laughs> like, yeah, it, it, people people who think they're fucking rich being like, I'm going to crypto mine in my house. And I'm like, how's that power bill? <laughs> like, I made 47 meebles this last month. And I'm like, well, your power bill's $800. And they're like, oh, no. <laughs> I hope that meeble can be turned into the U.S. dollar. But... Is, is George well, says, it can. You what? just got to catch it at the top of a hill, which changes every three seconds. Yeah, you have to have like that nano computer ability. You have to have a bot farm that can place a sell order at the bottom of the tick so it drops on the top. Like, it's, it's horrifying. No thank you. Um, but so he says, uh, here's some pictures of an Obrez made from two completely roasted guns. There was so much pitting on the outside of the receivers. Even the insides of the barrels were pitted and shot out. However, the locking lugs and chamber were all fine. So lot the better of the two down to seven-ish cut on the receiver and welded them back together to make a brand new manufacturer moist nougat pistol. Oh. 
loophole. Made a super cheap muzzle brake and then recently added a DP-28 pan magazine and for shits and grins modified a pick rail mount to pin into the standard rear leaf bracket so it can have an actual zeroed sight. Note, it will not stabilize standard 54R ball ammo. This is how I know he shot it. <laughs> it says it will not stabilize. Well, it, it, it may stabilize it. There's just the explosion after it leaves the barrel as all the unburnt powder. It just throws it, throws it somewhere. throws it off. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's, so, no, I'm not surprised you're keyholing with that particular firearm. Yeah, it says, it says who would have thought after that? <laughs> but he makes an interesting ballistic observation. He says that the 46 grain training ammo is accurately accurate out to one last note on the last image with it being fired before I was added to the pan mag. The pan mag is fully functional, though, as long as the person behind the gun runs the bolt, quote, vigorously. <laughs> <laughs> so that is a that is that is me tipping my hat and recognizing my own sense. That is a gunsmith going, this shouldn't exist. However, now that it does, here's the rules. I you know, I do appreciate that he's got the second handhold carved in there. because uh, that would be a beast one-handed, and I wouldn't recommend it. I shot an Obrez that a guy made uh that was literally the cylinder or sorry the the receiver the magazine the bolts holding that together and then a handmade wooden grip and the there was like i want to say two inches of barrel on it and we so we don't need rifling where we're going right however it was a historically correct minimalist mm -hmm. obrez and so I, I, I was like, God, this is going to be a motherfucker to shoot. What he did, though, was he hand-loaded rounds for it to where it was about half the power. And, standard rounds. But still quite potent. So it, it was just basically like a bolt-action 44 Magnum in a sense. And it had enough metal in it to where, like, it worked. It it yeah. wasn't it wasn't great, but you he recreated what they really were, not the idea of what they were. Simulation versus simulacrum and recreating anything, which is kind of terrifying as a concept. But yeah, <laughs> I've got to say a full size cartridge through that. It's maybe the one pistol where I would want the lanyard so I could pick it back up. You and need I it. I know it's attached to me. Well, I I, th I think it's exactly. <laughs> Bam! Fuck! Yeah. Okay. Chase it down. <laughs> Run the bolt. But I I just think it's I think it's an interesting idea. You know I think gumption in gunsmithing is interesting because I've seen like ten million billion AR-15s and I've seen ten million billion 1911 clones and I've seen ten million billion Glock clones and I understand that's safe in terms of like marketing or gun whatever but i i miss finding the people out there uh who are the elmer keiths or in the in in the more modern era you you would have people like denny reichard or uh god in the modern 1911s the god of them all right now is stan chen uh stan chen and his custom work is like six year waiting list and each one is handmade and they're all gorgeous. <laughs> and you're like, fuck, this is good. And even if you're not gun people, if you're not a gun people, if you're like, I don't like gun, go look up Stan Chen customs. This guy is like a former architect. He hand makes all of these things. 
even if you're not a gun person, if you want to see like what a guy can do with his hands, like just as a craftsman, even if you're just not a gun person, if you're like, well, I still like guns and movies. If even if you're that kind of gun person, go look at his stuff and you'll be like, God, that's gorgeous. Some people could just do that. And it, it's, it's like, this is my field of study. So I always end up kind of gushing over these people because I've seen their work and I, I am a gunsmith myself, but I'm like the like okay gunsmith, not like their level of like this is the mighty work of thirty generations. And you're like, fuck, you're good, you're really good. I I just figured out how to get G three triggers to not be sticky. Like <laughs> I, I consider that my hallmark. So I I was gonna ask, in your opinion, and I know a lot of people have asked me to ask you, and I I routinely don't. Because it's always on a stream or something when we're trying to play something. But of all the law enforcement and all the sci-fi and all the law enforcement and all the fantasy settings ever from Dick Tracy to Citadel Security to Space Station 13. If you had to choose one shift from any of those law enforcement settings to work with all the hazards entailed, which would it be? I'd go to work with Vimes from the Guards Guard series. <laughs> okay, that's a good call. Um, I, I Frank Drabin myself. Uh, Frank Drabin, yeah. Frank always survives. The people around him don't. I am willing to die <laughs> in the intro of Police Squad. I am more than fine with that being my legacy. I'm more than fine. Uh, but no, it's. I, I think it's funny you say Vimes because, like, I think I think a fantasy policeman would suck i think that would be awful because i think it would well i've wanted to write for a while um i i helped a few people write a few different fantasy settings i've helped consult on a few because i love world building uh, never trying to take credit for any of this stuff i just love to like help people think about funner little aspects and i wrote a few settings myself they never really materialized or went any, in, anywhere um, mainly because just indecision or, you know, like, eh, I don't see it or it's just a dead end idea or I could run a game in that, but then I'd get bored of it. You know, all the realistic things that you go through. But I, I always thought that fantasy setting police would suck. It would suck so much because imagine, all right, you, you know, the city of Neverwinter, right? And Dungeons and Dragons. Mm -hmm. Imagine being the city guard in Neverwinter. And your current capacity and your current level in law enforcement. Imagine being the city guard in Neverwinter. And they're like, oh, this is an all points bulletin. Uh, the, the the wizards down at the bar starting to fight. And you're like, oh, crap. <laughs> you have to like run down there. And, and, and you're like, sir, please put the put the wand down. Yeah. No, it uh, in series like that uh, where you have people who are that much more powerful than your average person. Yeah. That is, that is a pretty miserable thing. Well, it's, I, I can only imagine what it would be like is like, you're in violation of city ordinance, blah, blah, blah. No magic between these hours on these premises, <laughs> you know, like that's yeah. the rule. And then you, what do you got to back it up? You've got a mean mug. I, I think that you would have, like, some sort of anti-wizard gun. I, I think that that would be like, <laughs> you're like, oh, yeah? The, the wizard's like, 
what if that was the setting in a fantasy thing? Like the city government countered wizard problems with a cannon. They, they were just like, yeah, they're like, if you start doing wizard shit and we don't have a wizard on staff, we're just going to wheel the artillery out and flatten the block. Fucking so magic what it is, <laughs> is there's, there's a city wizard and he just enchants bullets and puts them in a box and you grab a handful of bullets you're like, all right, I got six shots. That's yeah, like or no, at the start of the shift, the city cleric, when you're doing your weapon, like he blesses the bullets with like dispel magic. And so he's like, All right, here's your six rounds, as you say, and of dispel magic. And it's good for one shift. So you if you forget or have it done poorly, it don't work. And and then, you know, you're like you you shoot a wizard and then he throws a fireball at you. But I think it'd be funny to have like, you know, in city police, they shoot the wizard once and like all of his magic stops working. They're like, all right, just uh, like hit him with a hammer or something, I guess, huh? Put him in the bag. <laughs> They're like, is this an ancient silk weave that stops magic? And it's like, no, we're just going to kick the shit out of you in the bag. And then we're going to take you to the jail. <laughs> we're going to we're going to put you in the river. I could only imagine the misery of of just being a medieval guard in any fantasy setting. Because, like, look at an Aragorn and or Ring Riders, like, coming through your fucking purview. You're like, I, fuck. Like, how do you deal with that? Some guy who's like, my name is not for you. I, oh, names are for friends. Oh, mysterious. And you're like, sir, please. I just, I need to know who you are. You're really weird. You're sitting in the corner of the bar every night staring at people smoking your pipe and just being edgy like can you please tell me who you are so i know you're not like gonna murder someone and leave town or like like do you have a business partner who can say you're okay just kind of weird and he's like well my name is stride and you're like that is not a real name like no nobody nobody named their kid strider sir try again (laughs) failure to identify as a class three violation and you're like in this town that means i'm i i'm allowed to brand you so <laughs> you're like what and it's like get the misdemeanor if you brand. do not provide a name i shall provide one for you yeah it's it's like the the local magistrate in whatever fantasy setting is there will be no nameless people like because of just some nameless assassin doing something and he's like there will be no nameless people in my kingdom so everyone has to carry around like a giant metal weight that has a picture of their face on it and then like all their information oh you have no id strider But, I mean, imagine the Lord of the Rings, uh, how fucked up that would have been if they went into that bar and some guy was acting or LARPing like he was a tough guy, but he was just some local nerd. And he's like, I'll protect you. And he, like, takes him to his house and the ring race just murder everyone. <laughs> and then Strider's like, oh, fuck, the nerdy guy fucked him. We did it, Reddit. That, that is not a good ending to Lord of the Rings. We did it. Ugh. No, man. God, we shit on Kojima a lot. Uh, so anyways, uh, any, we, we do. I know, mean, this well, is like the third podcast about it, I think. I think it's just because the more the older I get, the more curmudgeon I get and the more fun I have at like analyzing things. But I also realize overanalyzing. That, yeah, yeah. Well, it's nice to do that versus what people are doing right now where they're like, hey, Tex, I was watching X News and Y happened. And I'm like, yeah. And they're like, did you know why happened? I'm like, well, I do now. And they're like, well, what do you think about it? And I'm like, I don't. And that makes them very upset because everyone has been doing this doom scrolling shit where they're just like, how did three years pass? And I'm like, because you've been inside and doom scrolling. Don't do that. 
Just, just don't do that. Like I prefer if you didn't, I, you know, let's, let's just not do that collectively. I think that would be smart of us. And so, uh, I, someone asked me, how do you, how do you make deal with, with that sort of poison and crazy in the world? And I, I said, it's easy. Um, anytime someone brings to you political anything or, or anything that's just designed to make you feel or fear a certain way, like if someone says you need to feel blah or you need to be angry or you need to, ah, what, what, I, what I like to tell people is just like, go find a recording of the Muppet theme and play it. So it just becomes a Pavlovian response where it's that same level of seriousness. So someone comes up to you and they're like, hey, did you see on the... And in your head, you just hear, nah, 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 nah. And it goes off, and so it just becomes, ah, this isn't serious, because it's all just fucking circus shit. And that's what I try to point out to people. So I think it's more important to shit on Kojima than constantly obsess over the price of gasoline or milk or the availability of toilet paper or who does and doesn't have the required number of vaccinations per the latest whatever, or what or what isn't a mask or whatever. Like all of that, boring, static, blah. I, You you deal with it, I deal with it. But I, I think that if you turn that all into nonsense, you can get back to the important stuff, like shit posting and asking, has anyone ever been so far as to want to do more like? And and returning the internet back to where it once was, the, the infinite gesture of whimsy and wisdom that reminded us all we were sh- equally nonsensical shit posters. <laughs> that's what I miss. I think that's kind of key, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, deal with what you got to deal with, and the rest of it. If it's not, you know, a government alert that we're all going to die right this very second, probably read about it in the paper or something. That's what I mean. Is I've I've taken the small town approach to stuff where people are like, people are like, did you hear about this? And I was like. Yeah, but what about that 7-Eleven over there? Are they going to fix the circle by it? Because, like, I've been hit, like, almost three fucking times. And I'm tired of that shit. <laughs> and people people get so nuclear butthurt. And I'm like, eh, local paper's more fun. I like reading I like reading local nonsense. I, I like being attached to people in positive yeah. ways. I like being reminded of uh, the infinite whimsy of humanity. Nova, uh, female, uh, tortoise shell, cat is up for adoption in the local paper. Oh, uh, oh, yeah. uh, what, what, what about her? Like, let's, let's hear, let's, oh, yeah. there's a picture. Okay. Yeah, there's a picture. Yeah. Uh, available nine to five at the shelter. Oh, well, that's nice. Um, three years old, spade. All vaccinations are up to date. What about temperament? Uh, that's important with a cat. Well, that would be. Uh, I don't think they've got a big enough slot on the front page because the rest of the page is. It just taken says violent by... and bold. <laughs> just violent. No cat. Ankle biter. Oh. <laughs> rest of the front page is taken up by a local story about a uh, local girl who's gone on to be a musician, a professional musician, uh, and a violence. See, and that's that's the kind of shit people need to be reading on a daily basis. Like people are like, I hate newspapers, and I'm like, go read a local one. Local newspapers are fucking hilarious, and in fact, if you hate them and you write them a letter, they'll publish it. That's why I fucking love yeah. local newspapers. If you're like, dear local times, so that, I think you're all morons. Yeah, it's great. Last week's was dedicated almost entirely to cattle. It's great. Small town newspapers are wonderful. I I once was looking at taking a job in Devil's Lake, North Dakota, 
And when I was looking at taking a job in Devil's Lake, North Dakota, uh, for a job there, I, I remembered, uh, one of the, one of the funniest fucking things was I was reading their local paper and one of the biggest fucking news events they had was a tractor that caught on fire and it was the front page in HD. The local guy had like a 4k camera and was like, and it looked like something out of of Hollywood. And I was like, oh my is God. People, this is, yeah. people dismiss these small town papers, but they're very much still of the journalistic mindset. Um, as horrible as it is, the, the school shooting in Texas, all of those really iconic photos that came out of that, those were all the local newspaper guy who happened to hear about it on the scanner and went and took that. Yeah. And when it comes down um, to news and investiga- investigatory journalism, a lot of people always look at the big, big, big news stories as reported by Mm -hmm. the big conglomerates, which are an informed, paid-for opinion backed by ads, but they always run over the local guy or gal who's actually there, who actually lives there and knows what they're doing. Yeah, it's a town of like 4,000 people. Right, Uvalde, Texas. And if you look at stuff like, for example, overseas, the news services that are overseas that are interesting to me will have local desks where they'll go, hold on, we need to go speak with X and Y, and there will be a local desk of someone who lives there, knows the politics, knows the situation, knows the context, probably knows the people involved or is aware of them or has covered them in the past, catches people up as to what's going on, explains it to the audience in a way that's very relevant, and then brings them into that. But that, too, is starting to go away because, again, it's becoming this giant conglomerate of like trying to punch people in emotion boxes of just going fear media and entertainment. Exactly. It's, it's just, as I like to call it dread and circuses, it's one of those things of, I need to keep you very entertained with very minimalistic clicky stuff. And I need to keep you very afraid of not enjoying this entertainment I'm providing. The, the news today is not very different than the news yesterday. Indeed. And there are some days where that is not the case. September 11, 2001, the news that day was very different from the day before. Yeah. And no, I, I think you're absolutely people right. People and these organizations uh, appear to be trying to glamorize and make you afraid um, by seizing in on these very uh, rare scenarios and other things that are uh, emotionally divisive or get you in that that fear cortex in the back of your reptilian brain or this or that because they know it drives viewership well, and yeah, viewership gets their ads well it's, money. it's 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 like anything it's it's like anything with with modern media look at like buzzfeed or what have you you'll have clicks and it will have a story that's very misleading in the title and then as you read through the story there's no information and there's a few pictures that have nothing to do with it and so it's it's like modern media and information is a lot like junk food and that it looks very appealing and you want to engage with it. It's it's very bright and colorful or what have you. But as soon as you bite yep. into it, you're like, this is just nothing. It's just nothing. And I, I don't really engage with a lot of media because by and large, the, the bulk of the nonsense the bulk of the nonsense is just noise. It's static. It's why in my head, it's just replace it with a Muppet theme because that's what it is. It's not serious. It's entertainment masquerading as information or it's manipulation of information for entertainment. 
And I don't like either of that in my fucking news. Yeah. And we're we're not saying, you know, put your head in the sand and ignore the world. Oh, no, no. We're um, just saying be objective. Like, like use your brain for the big thinking, you know? Like, like don't, don't let your heart be manipulated. We're saying don't put your head in the sand at all. I, I want you to be the motherfucker who goes out there and expresses their own opinion, unafraid, but is also self-educated and well-educated and well-versed in whatever you're talking about. Do not let someone tell you what something is. Investigate it for your fucking self. Find out for certain. And don't be afraid of being wrong. And that's part of the self-exploration of just knowing what you're about and what you stand for and what you care for and being able to question yourself and going, is this real? Is this not? Having that dialectic as a human being. But a lot of people feel, I think, very afraid of engaging with anything or they feel that they fear missing out. It's it's this fear of missing out of, oh, if I don't engage with everything, I won't know all the things. And it's like, well, no, it's like having a TV with 20,000 channels. You don't have time to watch all of them. So you go, I want to look at that. And I want to look at that. And if you put all your time into like two or three things, you might enjoy them more. You don't have to look at all the things because I think a lot of us just get bombarded and we're made to feel like if we don't do all of the things, we are somehow not included or not aware or not as smart. And it's okay to just like what you like. People have forgotten that. But it's okay. That's the world. Well, it's okay, though, because I'm also starting to see the rise of things that counter it, which make me very excited. Um, I was looking on Twitch, you know, WBPL76, and we're, we're kicking ass on that. Like, out of nowhere, we're doing really well. And, it, you know, good leadership, good direction. Everything's going fine. And that's not my leadership. That's the executive team of WBPL. That's Diggs and the managers. And that is yeah, them. separate. Yeah. It's them running their own fucking thing and they're doing it really well. And we just play a part of it. I'm um, a guest over there too. Exactly. And, well, and that's, the, that's the thing is it's, it's a collective of free association and, and it's not like the money doesn't go to me or whatever. It's, it's just, you know, WBPL 76 is self-sustaining and it's people sharing what they're passionate about. There's already people talking about a cooking show. Uh, and it's, it's exactly the idea I proposed over a decade ago where I said, you know, if I had a UHF station, if I had a millions of dollars, I'd run a UHF station 24 seven and I would fill it with the most unique, strange, wonderful things I could to remind people of all the cool, passionate, crazy, fun things out there. Because imagine if every two hours was something completely polished and different of someone in their favorite moment, every two hours was a Bob Ross or a This Old House, or a Weber Cooks, or <laughs> you know what I mean, just something crazy, or a Wayne's World. Imagine if you could show all of these wonderful, crazy things that could then on their own spin out and do whatever they wanted. Like, I'm not saying, oh mm -hmm. yeah, make residuals off creating all these things, but like more like Roger Corman, give people a shot, show people what an open mic is, show people what it's like to create, and that's taking off. People are doing really well. And I think that stuff like that succeeding gives me more strength than worrying about all the blah in the world that I can't do anything about. I'm one guy. I don't even know how to govern me. So why should I worry about having to govern the world, right? Yeah. Let us end this podcast on a positive note. 
Mr. Deputy, say something endearing and wholesome at the drop of a hat to remind people of why this podcast is mostly okay, please. <laughs> I got nothing. Just just be kind to each other, please. Well, uh, see, I know it's what there, I said last time. It's a good one. Uh, it is. Well, I if if we were all just a little tiny bit kinder to each other, the world would be such a better place. Oh, I agree. So try and keep that in mind when you're frustrated, when you're angry. Because it's easy to lose sight of it. Thank you for saying that. That's wholesome as shit. And remember, you can downvote a podcast, apparently, on some platforms. Um, anyways, I don't chill, but I do have bills. Uh, the BPL is a Patreon. You can go find that. I'm, I'm not going to j- jam it down your throat. Deputy, thank you for joining me. Yeah, not a problem. I can't wait until we do the next Far Cry. <laughs>